there's a story about the baptism of King Angus, high king of Ireland, by St. Patrick in the middle of the 5th century. Sometime during his rite of baptism, St. Patrick leaned on his sharp-pointed staff and inadvertently stabbed the king's foot. After the baptism was over, St. Patrick looked down and saw all of the blood pooled up around his feet and realized what he had done and begged the king's forgiveness. Why did you suffer this pain in silence? Patrick wanted to know. And King Angus replied, I thought it was part of the ritual. <laughs> Christianity has developed many rituals over the 2,000 short years of its life. Ritual is a way that we as human beings impart meaning and continuity to our lives. Meaning and continuity bring order out of chaos. And so we show in our natural human habit for ritual that we share that God given desire for order that God himself imposed deeply into the fabric of creation. Let there be light. Let there be waters above and below. Let there be dry land. The true God is the one that makes order and provides all that his creation needs to keep it from dissolving into confused turmoil. Because each one of us has been made in his image we also work to bring order and resist chaos. But like the story of Patrick and King Angus, rituals can also obscure the truth, even when it's meant to make it known. A pagan king, accustomed to struggle and war, thought nothing about shedding a little bit more of his blood to receive the salvation that Patrick had offered to him. Likewise, in the second book of Kings, we hear about the Syrian general Naaman coming to seek relief from his leprosy at the hand of Israel's prophet Elisha. The proposed cure, seven dips in the muddy Jordan, offended the hero's pride. It was not until his wise servant spoke soothing words like oil upon rough waters that he came to the water in the Jordan River and was indeed cleansed. We need, each one, reminders of why we perform these sacred acts, and that's why I always make an open invitation to the whole parish when we have confirma confirmation class going. It's not a bad idea to revisit the basics once in a while and ask new questions that have popped up to us since the last time you were in confirmation class. And so we come today, the second Sunday after Epiphany, and to find that it is devoted each year to the commemoration of our Lord Jesus' own baptism by John the Baptist, the messenger, preparing the people for the Lord's appearance. This John the Baptist we heard about in the third Sunday of Advent, preaching a message, demanding baptism and repentance among the people of Israel. And as we saw through the season of Advent, John's baptism and preaching functioned to bring down mountains, to raise up valleys, and to make smooth the approach for the arrival of Almighty God. John's baptism served to incite repentance and prepare the people for the long-awaited arrival of their covenant, God. Jesus now comes to be baptized by John, 
And we see that commemorated in our window here in the chancel. Jesus comes to be baptized among his own people, and yet Jesus himself had no sin. And so this seems to be a contradiction. Jesus coming to receive the sacrament or sign of forgiveness and preparation, and yet Jesus himself had no sin. Why, indeed, does Jesus submit to John's baptism? Jesus had no need of repentance, and without these prerequisites of sinfulness and the need of repentance, Jesus' baptism seems unnecessary or perhaps even suspicious. But Jesus had come to save his people from their sins. Jesus, you see, is presented to us as coming as their Messiah, the anointed king, to take upon himself the ultimate identity of Israel and finally that of the whole human race. So Paul will write later to the Galatians, But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus had come for the redemption of the world from sin, the devil, and death itself. To achieve this colossal undertaking, he took upon himself the whole of the Israelite calling as priests among the nations of the world, and the human burden, which was Adam's first sin. For Jesus, who was from the before all time, begotten of his mighty father, was brought low to be conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin and take upon himself a real human body and a reasonable soul. But he also took upon himself all the marks of humiliation and also the redemption for the sake of his fellow men. And so you see, for this reason, Jesus was circumcised according to the law on the eighth day he died upon the cross according to the law, yet he himself was without sin. Instead, Jesus took all these upon himself for our sake and our forgiveness. And it is in this great act of divine identification with his broken human creatures that he was baptized this day as one of us. But the next reason why Jesus was baptized was to confirm the validity and authority of John the Baptist's ministry. John had been sent to prepare the people, but this was not the only thing that John the Baptist had been sent to do. His last great duty was to point the people to their anointed king. For John said, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, for he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descend as a dove from heaven, and it remained on him. And I have seen and have borne witness that he is God's only Son. Jesus himself acknowledged that John was the last great prophet of the Old Covenant. As he stood with his apostles and his opponents in the temple courts, Jesus said that John was sent by God himself. So this being the case, Jesus submitted to John's baptism so that he might fulfill the Lord's plan, confirming John's mission. And finally, 
Jesus came to John for baptism in order to inaugurate his own mission as the Messiah and Savior of the world. Throughout the pages of the scriptures, Old and New Testaments alike, we read of men called to special service by Almighty God. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and even some kings were anointed to fulfill the Lord's call to minister to his people. And each of these received a special outpouring of the Spirit marked by the sacrament, sacramental sign of holy oil. They had been given authority to speak and to rule as God's agent among the people. They were to defeat wickedness and vindicate righteousness. They were to drive off the enemies of God and bind up the poor and the weak. They were to con condemn sin and remind the people of the mercies of their God. But there would come one final anointed king, the Messiah, who would receive a special anointing for his incomparable mission. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This was none other than Jesus, son of Mary, son of the Most High God. And with this in mind, Jesus took as the text for his first sermon, Isaiah's prophecy. The spirit of the Lord has come upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted. And so we see then that in being baptized, Jesus fulfilled the righteous call that his heavenly father had placed upon him. Jesus did not shirk his duty and did not grasp the honor that was not rightfully his, but he submitted himself to the will of his father for the redemption of the whole world. But we shouldn't be confused in thinking that Jesus' baptism was for our benefit alone, at his expense, certainly not, for we see that this was a double honor by the double witness from the highest heaven. First, then, the heavens were opened and the Spirit of God came down upon him bodily in the form of a dove, as we see represented in our window behind me. It would be a strange mistake, a ridiculous thing to think that the crowds standing there saw some kind of trap door open in the sky and a bird fall out. That would be a very silly thing. No, Mark and all of the other evangelists who represent this event mean for us to understand that heaven itself now has come down to earth. God had come upon men. The kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ have begun. And this is what it means to have heaven opened. But when heaven opened, the spirit came down upon Jesus in full view of all who were there. There could be no mistake, but this man from Galilee had received a direct and special blessing and a commission, the authority from the very throne of God. And it was not only the communication of the Spirit, but the voice of the Father, full of satisfaction and pride, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, with thee I am well pleased. King Angus had been confused by the sign of this new religion. He thought that being stabbed in the foot 
was part of the baptism. And perhaps there was some reason that the priest must stab him in the foot after pouring water on his head. He'd never been baptized before. This was all new to him. These were, there were no words to explain this shocking new experience. But you see here the crowds that day that Jesus was baptized by John in Jordan had seen a sign, a heavenly dove descending, perching upon this man as he stood praying in the Jordan River. But what could it mean? Their eyes had seen a sign, but their hearts and minds were not enlightened. So a sign is no use without a word, even as a sacrament is no use without the preaching of the gospel. It is the pronouncement of the gospel message. Thou art my beloved son with whom I am well pleased that inform the crowd of the person and the moment. This is Messiah, the one they had hoped for. He would finally bring the long-expected justice for the people. He will reconcile all the nations to God. He will share the very name of God, an honor given to no one else. But if Jesus was baptized that he might take upon himself the whole of our condition and the whole of our redemption, and if Jesus received the Spirit of God and the approval of his Father, then what must we learn from this feast of the baptism of our Lord. It is simply this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That is it. Paul wrote to the Roman church, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus, in his baptism, joined us in the humiliation of our sinful state. This is not to say that Jesus was a sinner, far from it, but he took upon himself everything that he had come to save at the cross. We, now, who have been joined to him by faith, and the sacrament of baptism have died with him upon that cross. But the end is not sin, death, and the grave. No thanks be to God. Christ has been raised from the dead to the glory of the Father. And we shall be raised if we are in Christ. We who are new creations shall hear the Father's voice speak to us, even as it did to him. Thou art my beloved son. Thou art my beloved daughter, with whom I am well pleased. In this season of giving presents to our friends and family, I wonder if we could imagine a greater gift than to be called a son or a daughter of God. That Christ is ours and we are his. That an eternity to enjoy the vision of the holy and undivided trinity awaits us. But there is an implicit warning here as well. Our joy, our hope, our very being is wrapped up in the life of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It is in this overwhelming, overflowing love that is presented to us in the community and sacraments of the church. We are called, not as individuals, but as members of Jesus' body. We are raised by the power of of Jesus' Holy Spirit that he sent upon the church. We are drawn into the love which the Father bears 
for his son. The Christian life, the life of devotion and of service, must always be lived in the deep truth of Jesus' own baptism. The Father says to us, in him, thou art my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Amen.